not sure what happened. Um, it's great to have you guys here. My heart is uh, really soft, really full. Uh, because of that, I want to start uh, out having a conversation about uh, uh, pet peeves. Um, I, I know like if we were to go around the room right now and you were to communicate on a piece of paper or something like your biggest uh, pet peeve, I'm sure we'd have a lot. I, I'm interested in a specific genre of pet peeve. Uh, I just, isn't that a great word, genre? I feel French when I say it. Um, uh, the, the genre is this, most annoying uh, phrase. And uh, I'm sure that, that some of you would have an annoying phrase or two. Uh, I certainly do, and I want to walk you through kind of some of the stages of my life and where these annoying phrases come from. I'll begin with my wife. Now, I, I know that... <laughs> I know this is dicey territory, uh, but, and seriously, like my wife does only a couple things that annoy me, uh, most of which are really insignificant. This one, however, isn't. Um, so help me, females especially, understand this. Uh, I think she's here. Is she back here? I know she's going to be here for the second service. Is she here? Okay. Anyway, um, hi, Heidi. I love you. So, uh, so she writes a text to me today, which is, it was incredibly kind, incredibly sweet. She said, hey, I'm praying for tonight. And I think she said something like, uh, you know, I hope, I hope the word drops it or something like that. It was pretty cool, kind of my language. You know, I was like, right on, babe. <laughs> but the word she used, and I said it a second ago, the word she used to open the text uh, was, was the word babe, right? Now, now this, this is great. This should be a term of endearment, right? The problem is my wife uses this term babe for me in just about every context. I mean, like, she, like if, we're, if we're having an intense discussion, we call them, like, the, she'll even throw babe in in those times, you know, like, and she'll do the babe with, like, the, the, the scary, like, sly eye thing, like, babe, you know, and I'm, I'm like, what does that mean? I, like, earlier it was awesome, and now I feel like I'm a pig or some movies, you know, like, what, what is babe, you know, and, and so I've literally had, like, several times, like, pick a new name for me. I don't, you know, I don't care what, like, stop calling me babe. I don't even know what that is or means, right? Uh, so we've wrestled through that, and I'm sure I have some annoying habits, um, uh, that my wife would uh, communicate later. You can ask her after. Uh, the second thing, my children, let's talk about them for a moment. Um, they're a blessing. I love them, but they certainly do some things that can get under my skin, uh, one of which is a recent thing. Uh, the, the phrase that I often and always hear at the dinner table is, uh, Daddy, are we done yet? And um, like, so, so here's what happens. We sit down to eat. Uh, my, my youngest son, Maddox, who's one, uh, he will eat anything, okay? Including, uh, I mean, he, seriously, like bugs, it doesn't matter, grass. You put a, fruit snacks, he loves, but, but he'll eat anything. Uh, Dawson, my, my son, I don't know, like the dude is very finicky, uh, finicky rather. He, he likes pizza. Like that's his, that's his jam. Like that's all he likes, you know? And so he, he says it all the time, like pizza, you know, or pizza and McDonald's, right? And so you're like, that's exactly what I eat. Like what's the problem, right? Fair enough, fair enough. Now, but my, my precious Princess Avery, she likes a few things really, really well. And last night we're sitting at the dinner table and she says, uh, I mean, we've been sitting there a good 30, 45 seconds. Uh, Daddy, am I done yet? Am I done yet? And I look down and do a quick examination of her plate. And from what I can tell, this is my quick examination, she's eaten one potato chip and taken three swigs of Diet Sunkiss, you know? And she's now equated that, that's right, we feed our children Diet Sunkiss. She's equated that to the fact that she's done. And so I look at her, I'm like, like, no way, Avery, like, you're not done. So in her rationale, she grabs her Diet Sunkist and takes another swig, sets it down, and she, like, you know, does this. Like, are we good now? Are we straight? Like, certainly this is, you know. 
keep eating. You know what I'm saying? Like Maddox is over there like, you know, double hand Dawson pizza, right? Um, now, uh, the third category, let's move on to my friends. And uh, God love them. Uh, I love my friends. Uh, uh, all of you I consider my friends. Um, and, uh, but a phrase that really gets under my skin is the phrase or the text or the call, I'm going to be late. And I always add again as a tag. Like it's it, like I, there's grace for people who are every, you know, everyone's, but it's the perpetually habitually late that like the fury of my anger sometimes wants to come out, you know? And I don't know if like you're one of those people. Like if, if I'm talking about you, like were you, you're always having to, hey, I'm I'll be there in 10, you know, and you're supposed to be there like 15 ago. Hey, listen, figure it out. All right. All right. I mean, because people will come to me and they'll be like, yeah, man, I just got stuck in the traffic jam at Quick Trip. Down. I'm like, what are you even? Well, you know, the coffee maker, there's like, well, they're like line of three deep. And I just want, you know, better planning. I hate, I really struggle with tardiness. Um, so I'm just being vulnerable and confessing to you. Um, but honestly, my, my very worst pet peeve phrase, and, and I, I hear this in a few particular contexts, is, is the phrase like, let's, let's, just, let's just get it over with. Anytime someone ever says to me, let's just get it over with, there is like something inside of me that just rubs the wrong way. I hear it in a few contexts. I think this will better explain it. I hear this a lot at weddings. It's so unfortunate. I'm not talking necessarily about the weddings that I pastor, um, weddings that I go to, the bride and the groom often. I just can't wait till this is just over with. And then we can, you know, I'm like, seriously, then why even plan the wedding? If you're getting so stressed that you would miss these amazing sovereign moments that God has blessed you to experience covenant and to live out Revelation 19 and 20 in the wedding ceremony, then don't even worry about it, you know? I, like anytime I hear a wedding couple, and especially the ones that I do marry, and they say that, we like have a me and Mark like sit down. I'm like, no, no, like no, let's not get it over with. Enjoy every second of it. It is so precious and so beautiful, right? Any amens? Maybe not. Okay, anyway, let, let, thank you. Uh, let's move on to school. Uh, maybe this will uh, attack some hearts. Here often with folks in school, not just college or high school, whatever, preschool, uh, like let's just, let's just get this over with. You know, I'm just ready to be done. And I'm all, I, someone amen that, right? Like, yeah, okay. But I'm just like, no, seriously? Like, well, what about the relationships? And what about the experiences? And maybe, just maybe, you might learn something there, you know? Like, like what about all of that? Like, no, let's not, just, let's not just get it over with. Like, let's enjoy it. Let's celebrate it. The last thing, and, and often this happens, I hear it in times of suffering. Uh, people are going through intense uh, pain in their family or relationships. And they'll say something to the effect of, let's just, can this just be done? Like, let's just get this over with. Problem is, there's all of these scriptures that say things like, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. So it's like somehow, like in the suffering, that creates this perseverance. And if I miss it, then I miss the blessed opportunity to journey through suffering. Some, some of you are like, well, the, 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 like there's blessing in suffering. That's what the Bible says. 
The Bible says that there is joy that's associated with that as God pulls us through. Now, what the symptom is of all these things is this word called formality. In other words, like the, the wedding ceremony is just formality for you because you want to get married. You need a degree, you want to make money, so guess what? School is the formality. You want to get on the other side of all of your suffering, and so guess what? Going through that season is just mere formality. If our life is just a collection of mere formality, then where is the life? If our whole existence is I just can't wait to get through this and get to the other side of this and just get me out of this. If that is really the, 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 the logistics and the existence of all that we are, then where is the life? Now, my bigger sense, and I want to start with this, my bigger sense is for many of you, your faith, your trust in Christ, your relationship with God or lack thereof is complete formality. Everything about it is driven by the rhythm and the structure and the formal nature of it. And in that moment, I say, then where is the faith? If your faith is mere morality, then where is your faith? Now, this is huge. A huge problem connects with every single one of us on our daily, moment-by-moment, second-by-second life. And so if you're ready to attack this head-on with me tonight, then I invite you guys to open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10. All right? Thankfully, if you want to battle formality, if you want to exist live in the current and the now and the second by second, uh, Jesus is always a good place to start. So let's uh, start here in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 5. You guys all there? We looked at a verse uh, 1 through 4 last week. Uh, Tonight, 5 through 10. This is going to be a lot of fun. Here we go in uh, Hebrews 10, verse 5. Consequently, love that word, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired But a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have uh, taken no pleasure. Then I said, verse 7, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. Verse 8. When he said above, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Verse 9. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He abolishes the first in order to establish the second, and by that we will have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. So you're like, how does that connect with formality? Here we go. Verse 5. Consequently, now this is a word for those of you that are grammar students or simply enjoy the English language. That's a connector piece. It's like the word therefore. Connects something previous to something that's to come. Well, what was previous? What does your Bible read there in verse 4? For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins, right? So it's impossible for those things to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, okay? It's impossible for these things to do it. Enter Jesus. Now, at DVA, our college conference this past weekend, how many of you guys were there? Pretty awesome. It's amazing, amazing. One of the things that I really uh, taught uh, over the weekend was praying through the Scripture. Our whole focus all weekend long was prayer. One of the practical things that I really want to encourage and empower you all with is praying through God's word. So if I were praying through uh, Hebrews chapter 5 and I came to this point when Christ came into the world and I'm reading it. And then the reading prompts my prayer. 
I would start celebrating all of the reasons, the blessings of the incarnation of Jesus, which is the fancy word for saying Jesus came to the world and took on flesh and blood. In my prayer, I would be saying, thank you, God, for all of these things, if I was praying through this passage. Well, because it's possible, because we should pray through it, I just thought I'd list these out for you. Is that cool? No problem. Here we go. The blessings of the incarnation, Christ taking on flesh and blood, coming and living on the earth, is we get to see a picture of God. Now, this is awesome. Like, we literally get to see how God interacts, how he talks, how he would walk on this earth. Jesus, for us, is the picture here and now of God. And that, my friends, is a blessing. It's something to thank God for. That fact alone. Uh, So the question would be for us, like, how often do we just thank God for that? Next slide. I love this. Specific and intentional teaching. So all the Old Testament, he's trying to teach the Jews many things. Jesus comes and flat, like, is hitting the nail on the head over and over and over. So the blessing of Jesus coming to the earth is like teaching is like loving your enemies. Coming straight from the mouth of God. Or all these rich parables and stories and healings, all of it. We get to watch Jesus unpack and teach. And so, though I know it was a crazy 90s phrase, like WWJD is pretty legitimate. You know what I'm saying? Like, what would, though I would never rock the bracelet or t-shirt ever, ever. <laughs> seriously, right? Still, the concept is incredibly right. Like, what would Jesus do? We have that picture. Here's what he said. Here's how he taught. Here's how he interacted, right? Uh, Speaking of that interaction, number three, uh, I really appreciate, and we thank God for this and do thank God, like the fact that we get to see Jesus talking with people, and specifically the disciples. I know we feel so distant sometimes because you're not like looking at him right in in front of your face like your friend. But isn't it so encouraging for you to read stories where, like, Jesus just sits and asks questions and listens and encourages and prays? Like, this human interaction between the God-man Christ and all these disciples who we relate with so much is absolutely beautiful, right? Uh, Fourth, one of the blessings of Jesus coming to the earth is, is he can sympathize with our weaknesses. Uh, Hebrews has said this over and over, that he came, embodied the human form as fully God, but because of that, he can sympathize. Uh, the, the scripture says in Hebrews that he was tempted in every, every way, yet he remained sinless. Beautiful, beautiful. Uh, number five is this, is there's literally no ambiguity. Like because God sent Jesus to the earth, there is no questions about what our God is like. Isn't that just, can I just, isn't that awesome? There is no question about what our God is like. We have the picture. Colossians 1 says he's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Christ comes down, boom, here's God. So if you want to know what God is like, you look to Jesus. Now, I think of strange things sometimes. Anyone else? All right, a few of you. One of my strange thoughts here recently, over and over and over last month, I've thought about this. This will seem strange, but it's, I think it's awesome. Um. I thought about what it would be like to be blind, okay? And sometimes I just like go through the senses, like what if I couldn't touch, or what if I couldn't hear? Uh, this month, it's what, what would it be like to be blind? Now think about this. Your whole life perspective would be through like touch. You would hear something, listen, you would hear something 
And you would be conceptualizing in your own mind about the beauty of what you're hearing. Like beauty would all be through all of these things except this. And I would say sometimes like the depth of the perspective of someone who is blind would at times go well beyond us. But the blessing of Christ's coming is the beauty is not just heard and the beauty is not just seen. The beauty is experienced. Christ comes, live perfectly, and the beautiful Christ, the beautiful Christ is completely experienced and encountered. And my friends, I believe that's reason to celebrate. I think like the next time as you're pleading uh, before the throne of God in your prayers, why don't you thank him for sending Jesus, not just for all these reasons, but how about the overarching, his sacrifice and resurrection, which clearly overarches all of these, right? So he comes, put back up verse 5 for me, the blessing of the incarnation. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, incarnated, showed up flesh and blood, he said, now anytime you see quotation marks in the New Testament, that normally uh, means what? normally means we're quoting what? Quoting the Old Testament. The writer of Hebrews is obsessed with that. Why? It's a Jewish audience. And over and over and over, he's trying to encourage them. Look, I know all of these things from the Old Testament, but there's new. So his strategy is this. If he can use the Old Testament to teach new truths, then the Jew would be like, that makes sense. That's his plan. He's quoting Psalm 40. David has written it. Here's how it begins, uh, Psalm 40 here. Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired. Now, this is somewhat confusing. We've been teaching over and over and over through Hebrews that the Old Testament way was that to appease sin, for forgiveness of sin, for cleansing of sin, that, that they would have to sacrifice animals. So David, in Psalm 40, says, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired. Curious, we'll get to the answer to that here in a second. But a body have you prepared for me. Now David's talking about Psalm, like this is in Psalm 40. So why is the writer of Hebrews bringing up here? This Psalm 40 is called a messianic psalm. The writer of Hebrews is using it to connect with the Messiah, Jesus. So all the statements he's about to make, he believes has been embodied by Christ. So we together. So the first thing he says is that this body, this flesh and blood Christ, came to the earth. That body was prepared. God sends His Son in flesh and blood to the earth, all clouded by sacrifice and offerings you have not desired. Verse 6. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no... What's the word? Who's the one person? Who's the one person in your life? The one that if you could just please them, make them happy, that would change everything. And for some reason, they're just not getting it. They're not catching your cues. You're trying hard. I mean, you've, you've even learned what it seems to make them happy with other people, and for some reason, it's just not working for you. Who is it? I would imagine for many of you, it might, it might be your father. There's something about daddy being pleased in us that's pretty encouraging, isn't it? Uh, for me, one of the, the times that my father was, it seemed the proudest of me ever. This will seem really strange, but go with it. I was shooting in the three-point contest my junior year of high school, okay? And you guys, you guys know what a three-pointer is? 
It's amazing, okay? It's like the best shot in basketball. Um, I only shot three-pointers in high school pretty much. But, so I'm shooting in the, in the state competition, okay? I'm in the sectionals. If I make the, the right amount of three-pointers, I'm going to go to state and shoot in the big state, and it's going to be awesome. So I'm up there shooting, and, and I, I make, you know, like the last two that is going to send me to state. I'm really excited. 30 seconds later, seriously, I, I look up in the, the top of the stands. That's where my family was sitting. The, the stadium was packed. I look up in the top of the stands. My dad has a rock fist up like this, right? <laughs> and the dude's, the dude's eyes are closed. It, like, he's like straight having a worship moment up there or something, right? Like, dude is like this up there. And, and I can see this, like, through the whole crowd. Like, like rock fist, eyes closed. And I, I just, I seriously, of all the times in my life that I remember, just because my dad was just, like, having a moment up there, like, dad, he was just proud, man. Like, like he was incredibly happy that he was the father of, of me in that moment. And I think you would agree. There's just few feelings like that. Like, I know many of you haven't had parents recently that have said that they love you. And I'm really sorry. Because I know that for many of you who don't have a father figure in your life, or a mother who cares, like, those words, I'm proud of you, I love you, I care about you, I think what you've done with your life is encouraging. It just, like, it sinks in the depths of our heart. But when we do have that, it changes everything, doesn't it? So quoting Psalm 40, the writer of Hebrews says this, that in burnt offerings and sin offerings, you, God, have taken no pleasure. You haven't been pleased. So the natural next question would be what? Then what does please you? What does please you, God? If burnt offerings and sin offerings don't please you, then God, how can we make you happy? Are you guys with me? This is the question. This should not just be the question now. It should be the question in general. God, how do we make you happy? Like as much as I want my father on this earth to be pleased and proud of me, I would much rather make you happy. That seems strange. Stay with me. I want to walk you through some scripture that I think will answer our question. We together? Start in Isaiah, next slide. Isaiah 1, verse 10. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Uh, Sodom and Gomorrah uh, was not your uh, average great place to live. Uh, Give ear to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. If you ever read Genesis, you see that these cities, it doesn't go so well for them. Verse 11. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord? All these sacrifices, what are they to me? I have had enough of burnt offerings, of rams, look at this, of rams, of fat and well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Verse 13, bring no more vain offerings. Here's what was happening. All through the Old Testament, and our writer of Hebrews is attacking one heart. The heart that says, here, like, here, here's my sacrifice. Like, let, let's, let's just get it over with. Here, take it. Here it is. Like, I'm, I'm doing what you told me to do. You told me to sacrifice, so here, I'm bringing it. Like, let's just get it over with. No more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. So what does God say? I don't want your vain sacrifices. Leave them at home. Don't come and say, hey, here's my sacrifice. This is what you told me to do. And not have something happening in here. Are we together? 
So if that's the case, then what's the next step? Psalm 51. David says this in his pleading for repentance after he commits adultery, murders, verse 16. For you will not delight in sacrifice. So David has this perspective. You will not delight in sacrifice. Or I would give it uh, you, uh, or I would give it you, uh, hold on, how am I, or I would give it, it should should be to you, I think, would not be pleased with a burnt offering. Verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a what? Are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. So now David adds, it's not these vain offerings. It's not like, here, here's my sacrifice, like, just be done with it. David says, no, no, no. There's something else. There, there's like a, a, an obedience. There's a heart thing that's connected. Whenever you offer anything to God, it has to be connected with here. Your motions mean nothing. That's what David's saying. Uh, let's uh, add one more thing to this. For Samuel, love this. For Samuel 15. And Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Look at this. Many of you guys have heard this before. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. So what pleases the Lord? What gives pleasure to the, to the Lord? Obedience. Obedience. Which is incredibly condemning in the Old Testament because it wasn't possible completely. The Old Testament man or woman under the old economy and the old, co- uh, the old covenant could not obey God perfectly. Now, this is crazy. This next text that I want to show you guys, please. I don't know wherever you're at right now, but if you're not here, like, get here with me right now. Okay, look at this. Look at this. Matthew 3. But Jesus answered him. By the way, this is when he's getting, getting ready to be baptized. Uh, John, uh, Jesus comes to John. He's like, you need to baptize me. John's like, no way. Like, are you kidding me? Like, you're the one I've been waiting for. But Jesus answered, let it be so now. For thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Love that. John can't comp- uh, compete with that. Then he consented, right? Okay, fair enough. You're God. Here we go. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a what? Like a dove. This is representing the Holy Spirit and coming to rest on him. Verse 17. Please see this. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well, what? The whole Old Testament. I'm not pleasing these things. These vain offerings aren't going to cut it. Jesus gets baptized and God says, it's in you. I am pleased in you. You're the one. It's a moment of prophecy and it's a moment of fulfillment. Jesus hasn't yet accomplished all of it. And yet God in his sovereignty or his plan says, you will do it. You will completely and rightfully obey all that I have commanded. And so guess what? Because you obey, I'm pleased. This is a crazy moment in the scripture. Though you could never please God in and of of yourself. Try that one on for size. Never, ever. Christ has not just died and forgiven your sins. He has given you this opportunity to be seen as pleased in the eyes of God. God never looks down at you in and of yourself and in you I'm pleased. He sees you through the lens of Christ and because of that, this daddy in heaven, who's way better than your daddy, says in you I am pleased. 
In you I am pleased. Why? Because I see you through Christ. This is a beautiful, beautiful text. And so what the writer of Hebrews is saying, look, no more vain offerings. I don't take pleasure in that. I take pleasure in obedience. And Christ completely and wholeheartedly obeyed. So rest in him. Right? That's his point. Beautiful text. Let's keep going in uh, Hebrews here. Then I said, this gets crazy. Then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. I have come to do your will, O God. He's saying that Jesus said this. How do you deal with focus? Consider yourself a pretty focused person. How many, of you, how many of you just admittingly, you say you got about 15 minutes of focus. After that, you're downhill, okay? Okay, most of us, some of you who are in that category didn't even hear the question. Anyway, um, <laughs> focus? Pretty bird, I'm not sure. Um, now, uh, let's take schooling, for instance. Like you start out in the first three or four days. You're like gung-ho. You're calling your mom like that first night. Mom, you'll never believe it. I got this homework already, and I already did it, and it's amazing, and I'm so excited about all of this, and it's going to be incredible. And uh, then what happens over time? It's like this fire and this passion. The very thing we were talking about, talking about at the beginning of tonight, like soon school just be- becomes that formality. Give it some time, and your lack of focus, your lack of diligence, and pretty soon the schooling is just, again, a means to an end. It's really seen in marriage. I mean, when you're trying to woo from a guy's perspective, woo that woman, you know, those first few days, like you ain't playing. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you're bringing all your guns. I mean, you're, you know, you got the flowers and the chocolates. You got, you got stinging chocolates in flowers. You know what I'm saying? Like you're like, here, you smell that and you eat that. Like that'll be good, you know? Right? Like you're bringing, you're bringing everything. Well, well what, what starts happening? What starts happening? Okay. You, you get the girl. And I, I met my wife when I was 12. We started dating when we were 16. I've known her over half my life. So I'm speaking from experience. You get seven years into this thing. And like that initial woo. Like, like pretty soon. It, it's so easy just to become roommates. It's so easy to lose focus. Like you. You had an intentional, very purposeful mission on the onset. And now you've just lost complete focus of that. And so it's so easy just to like get wrapped up with the chaos of the children. And you're looking and you're sitting and you're watching looking at your face and in, in, in your eyes. And you're just like, what happened to those days? Well, it, our marriage just became a formality. Thankfully for us, we, we fight that we ha- we're not there. I pray against it. But that's possible. Here's Jesus. In this quotation, the writer's escalating that when Christ came into this world, he came with one purpose, to do the will of God. Fair enough. That's great. You're like, well, I have that too. That's my purpose. Okay, let's test that out a little bit. Next slide. In John chapter 6, here's what Jesus says. I have come down from heaven. Listen to this. Think about this. I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of whom sent me. That's why I'm here. How many of you would embrace that mentality right now? 
I have come, right? I am here, and the whole reason why I am here is to do the will of God. That supersedes everything. That's my desire. That's my pursuit. And you feel like that gives you a good 15 minutes. Problem is, as time goes along, all of that desire in you soon turns to formality. What was once this beautiful faith has now just turned into a bunch of frivolous, worthless motions. Uh, so here's the blessing of Jesus. In the end of his life in the Garden of Gethsemane. This is at the beginning, at the end. Next slide in Matthew. And going a little farther, this is right before he's killed. He fell on his face and prayed. Maybe you guys know this. Saying, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. When was the, let me ask this, when was the last time in your walk with Christ you were so focused on doing his will that there was anguish? Like where you were in your room, fist clenched. Like, God, I am struggling with this, but your will be done. And you're weeping, and you're, your heart's pounding, and you're on your knees. That, for me, is one of the biggest indicators of how your faith has just become formality. If there's no anguish, we see it in the Christ. He's saying, your will be done, but this is so incredibly difficult. This is going to be hurtful. I'm going to suffer pain through this. But fist clench, he says, your will be done. That's why I came here. I will not get off focus. There's nothing else to distract me. Your will, your will, your will. That's his heart. And so the whole point of the writer of Hebrews is, um, if you want to pull out your heart from your sacrifice, it means nothing. If you want to obey and follow Christ in motion, it means nothing. It's uh, supplemented by First uh, Chronicles. Check this out. Uh, David wrote this as well. I know, my God, that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness and obedience. In the uprightness of my heart, I have freely offered all these things, and now I have seen your people who are present here offering freely and joyously to you. What the writer of Hebrews is saying is, your heart has to be in it. If your heart isn't in it, it means nothing. The motions, the sacrifice, all of it. It means absolutely nothing but when the heart is in it. When it's focused. Determined, persistent, broken, anguished, loving. Then all of a sudden, God is pleased because you're called a son of his through Christ. Are you with me? Now, I want to take this to the next level. For us to do that, we've got to look at these next two verses as kind of summary. He rehashes now, not in Psalm 40 anymore, but just in his own understanding. And when he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, which, by the way, uh, uh, gives a good summary of the four different kind of offerings in the Old Testament. Uh, verse 9, then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. What he says in that, he does away with the first in order to establish the second. Again, if you've missed journeying with us in Hebrews, there's this tension between the old covenant, animal sacrifice, and the new covenant, the sacrifice of Christ. So what the writer is saying is, because Jesus perfectly obeyed, then what has happened is it's done away with the first, 
and it's exalted the second because Jesus has been both the perfect obedient and the perfect sacrifice. He's done both. And so the second is better. It's a summary statement to get us to the beautiful verse 10. Check this. And by that, we will have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. You see the circle he comes? He begins, the body had to come to the earth. And now what? Now through the body of Christ once for all sacrificed. Let's start with the word sanctified, shall we? It's not a word that comes up in your uh, everyday conversation, I would imagine. Uh, the word sanctified means uh, similar to holy. If you're like, that still does nothing for me. Uh, holy and sanctified in times when they're used together, it means set apart. So because of what Christ has done in his once for all sacrifice, you've been set apart. But there's a, a little a pronoun, I believe it's called, right before sanctified. What, what does it start with the W? We. Well, who's the we? Who is the we that have been sanctified? Who is the we that have been set apart? Jesus in John 6, uh, the, the end of the verse that we quoted earlier, put this up for me here, John 6. We saw verse 38, let's keep going. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Verse 39, here we go. And this is the will of him who sent me. By the way, any time in the Bible uh, where uh, there's this quote of this is the will of God, like this should be interesting to you, right? Because I know many people are all the time like, so what's, what's you know, God's purpose? What is his purpose for me? For this is the will of God. Here we go. Thus says the Lord who has sent me that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. Verse 40. For this is the will of my Father that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. Anyone who looks on the Son... This is the will of the Father. Jesus has come, embodied, lived perfectly, please God. Now, anyone who looks on Him, anyone who believes in Him, anyone who trusts on Him, God will be saying to you, I am pleased with you. That's the beauty of the gospel. You have done nothing. He has done everything, and God is pleased with you. This is phenomenal. This is grace. This is the richness and depth of the scriptures, my friends. And this is what he's trying to get these ancient Jews to understand. Listen, this old stuff is done for. This new is so much better. Put back up verse 10 for me. And by that we will have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. The thing that has really impressed me about this uh, passage, and I need to share this with you. Jesus is not on the cross looking at his watch. He's not on the cross saying, let's just get this over with. Like, come on, I, I know how this is going to go. I die, then you raise me. He's fully present on the cross, not looking at his watch. He's taking on the wrath of God. With this desire to do his will, so much love, so much compassion, so much grace. The will of the Father as his focal point. Taking it, existing in it. Listen, every miracle, every teaching, every conversation, everything that Jesus does on this earth is done with such intentionality and purpose, all covered with, I'm here to do the will of the Father. That's why I'm here. I have nothing else to do. 
So everything I will do, then guess what? It will be done for his will and his glory, period. Jesus never says, let's just get this over with. So let's look at your past 24 hours. How much of your time would you say was spent fulfilling versus something in formality? Let me explain what I mean. How much of your day today was spent considering what God would have of you? Where this question comes up in every second of every day, God, what and how? What would you have of me? I want to do your will, and how would you have me uh, fulfill that? How would you have me live that? How much of your day today has been existed in that? Versus, like, I I just wish this would just be done for. Like this conversation, seriously, this is incredibly tiring. I'm tired of this. I wish this class would just get over with. I do, all of this. Uh, my thought would be that for most of you, most of your entire existence, let alone the 24 hours, is formality. Can I ask you, where's the life in that? Maybe you realize right now that you're not really living at all. All you're doing is you're waiting for the next five minutes to get over with so that minute six can come. And then when minute six comes, guess what? If I can just get past this, then everything will be better. When there's this greater call, this greater purpose, that in every minute of every day, we have the chance, because of what Christ has done, To say, what and how now? What would you have of me, and how would you have me do it? I want to live. I want to exist. Every conversation, every class I'm in, everything God's provided, every job, it seems so rhythmic, it's so monotonous. No, God, what would you have of me now? God, help us embrace the focus that was seen in your son Jesus. Don't you want that? If you do, I'm telling you, then you want life. It's so interesting that life is truly lived through focusing on doing the will of the Father versus thinking that you can somehow do it on your own. What you'll find, you start asking how and what and soon pleasing the will of God by fulfilling what Christ has done in your life, my friends. All of a sudden you start feeling like you're living. I'm not a drone, I'm not a robot, I'm not dead anymore. My heart is softening. I feel like this life has meaning and purpose, even this conversation right now, you see? And pretty soon you walk into a quick trip or you talk to the person at the park or all of these conversations, all this time, all the kids, all the marriage, all the schooling, everything now is, God, I'm here to do your will. And thank you, Lord, that Jesus has already done it perfectly. And so when I fail, I rest in him. What I'm saying to you, friends, is the formality means nothing. And so if your life is dominated by your formality then what does that say? Let's stand together. Are you enjoying following God? 
you wake up today and just think to yourself, I can't wait to follow the things of God today. It's what I long to do. Are you enjoying it? Is it causing your heart to beat fast? Or, my friends, is this entire thing just become some means to an end? Let's put this up for me. That's our question. Fulfill God's will. Pursue the face of God through His Son, Christ. Or continue in meaningless motions. And so listen. I right now want to speak to the hardened heart. You're here and you're just like, hey, Mark. It's all well. It's all great. Can I just be honest with you, Mark? Like, I feel nothing. My heart feels incredibly hardened. I'm angry. Bitter. I haven't felt anything for God in days, months, years. And I'm, I'm 100% formality. If I'm even a believer, I don't even know. My heart's just hard. If that's you tonight, listen. The grace of Christ is seen in taking the hardened human heart and breaking it in half and breathing love and grace all over it. And the same person, I really believe this, and I'm praying in my heart right now that God would help me believe it. I really believe the same heart that walked in here hardened can leave here softened. The same heart and life who walked in here burdened and bitter can literally walk out of these doors and say, no, I'm freed by the blood of Christ. I want to fulfill. I'm tired of the formality. God, break my heart. God, give me a desire to do your will. I believe that can happen. And so I want to pray for it. And if that's you and you're like, that's me. My heart is hard. I'm going to pray for you right now. We're going to worship and respond. And we're just going to let God's grace and love permeate this room. God, thank you that you came to this world, displayed your love in your son Jesus. Thank you, God, that Christ completely fulfilled and is pleased, God, in your eyes. I pray, Father, that tonight you will bring great assurance to my brothers and sisters. God, please help us rest in you and your obedience and what you have done. God, I pray specifically tonight for the, the hardened, the angry, God, no words of man can do a thing to the heart. But you, Father, you can. And so we plead and ask that to those hearts, you would soften. And God, that you would breathe your love in their life. And that they would know, maybe even for the first time, the taste of grace.